Well, good morning. Many faces I do not know, some faces I do, and uh, that's a good thing. Uh, it's great to be here. Julie and I have uh, enjoyed our time in, in Melbourne. We arrived uh, yesterday, and uh, we just consider it a real privilege to be ministering God's Word to you this morning. Uh, and uh, that hymn that we sang before, Yet Not I, But Christ Alone. Isn't that a wonderful refrain? And as we've read through these scriptures this morning, as we've read through parts of Hebrews, not the entire book of Hebrews, it was tempting. It was tempting to get us to read the entire book so we get the flow of the conversation. We get a glimpse of our precious Saviour. So let's, um, let's just open in prayer and then we'll open God's Word. Predominantly to Hebrews chapter 12, 1 to 3. That's where we're going to be concentrating this morning. So let's just uh, open God's, uh, let's open in prayer. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we do give you thanks. We thank you for our precious Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for his death, burial and resurrection. We thank you that through his death, burial and resurrection, we have life. We praise you for this eternal life, which is granted by your grace. And Father, this morning as we open your word, we pray that our hearts and our minds will be um, removed from distraction of the week that's gone. Father, we ask that by your spirit you will enliven our hearts to the truth of your word. Father, we just ask by your spirit that you will impact upon us the things that we need to learn, the things that we need to change. Father, give us a heart to run the race with endurance, fixing our eyes upon Jesus. So we just ask for your hand of blessing this morning as we open your word together. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So we've read through uh, those verses in Hebrews this morning, and we'll see that from those selection of verses, there's one theme that tends to dominate, right? And the dominating theme there is the supremacy of Jesus. And that could be the overarching theme of the entire book of Hebrews. In the first verses we read, in chapters 1, 8 to 12, we, we see Jesus, who is the Son. The Son who is truly God and truly man. And he is the Son who has been forever. He is eternal. He is righteous. He is the one who created all things. He laid out the foundation of all we see. And he is the eternal one who has no end. In chapter 2, we, we see that all things have been made subject to Jesus. And that he's been crowned with glory and honor. Why? Because he chose to die the death of a criminal to pay the price of sin. 
to pay the price for you and I who have been separated eternally from God. We needed a saviour. You know, God is holy. We are not. We need a substitute. And that's our Jesus who is crowned with glory and honour and he is the founder of salvation. The founder of salvation. Jesus talks about that himself in, in John. I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is our founder of salvation. Then in chapter 4 we see Jesus as our great high priest. Isn't it wonderful when you read those verses that Jesus was tempted in every way, just like you and I, and yet he was without sin. And because of that, we can draw confidently to his throne of grace. We can come to his throne of grace daily, hour, minute by minute, to receive mercy and find grace in the time of our deepest need. So often we forget that, don't we? So often we forget that God's loving grace and his, his all-sufficient grace is superabounding. It's on tap every moment of the day. And yet we fail at times to tap into that wonderful fountain of grace. In chapter 5, we see Jesus learned obedience through his suffering, through the way of the cross. Because of that obedience, he grants eternal life to all who believe. Why? Because he is our great high priest. And then we've come to this almost summary statement in the middle of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 12. And I'm going to read this again from the NET version, New English Translation, because I think it's very helpful for us. Let me just read these three verses again. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, we must get rid of every weight and the sin that clings so closely and run with endurance the race set out for us, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set out for him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Think on him or consider him who endured such opposition against himself by sinners so that you may not grow weary in your souls and give up. It's interesting, isn't it? It's springtime in Melbourne at the moment. What does it normally conjure up in your mind when we come to spring? We think about the spring carnival, right? We get it rammed down our throats. We, we see racing becomes a, horse racing becomes a fascination with our culture. We hear about the race that stops the nation. You know, I still can't get over the fact that in Australia we celebrate a public holiday with a horse race. 
Now, that's amusing to me. I guess if you can do it for the grand final, you might as well do it for the horse race, right? Yeah. When the All Blacks win the World Cup, I think there should be a public holiday in Australia as well, but we, we won't go there right at the moment. But, you know, we, we, as a culture, we celebrate this race. There's a worldwide interest in this event. Yeah, it just seems more than a horse race, right? You have unprecedented interest on the fashions on the field. Different type of filly. Um, You have suits, you have fascinators. You have all the spring colours and the spring fashions that, that accompany a horse race. And it truly is a race that stops the nation. And it shows the heart of our culture. Look, I'm a novice to horse racing. I don't know much about it, but I, I thought I'd research a few facts about this race. Evidently, for the Melbourne Cup's a long race for a horse. It's two miles long. And it's known for the horses that are known as stayers. Right? So a horse that can run for an extended period of time. Runs well over long distance. For a horse, this is equivalent to a marathon. Okay. It's evidently the richest two-mile race in the world. It costs about $50,000 to enter your horse. And the prize money is somewhere around $10 million. And sort of approximately 90,000 people are at trackside for the, the, the race. And it's expected that about a $6 million uh, viewership on television for the race is pretty normal for the Melbourne Cup. But you know, today, as we've read these scriptures, we're not talking about the race that stops the nation. We're talking about a far more important race. The race describes the key things that are important in, as a believer, as a Christian, to run a race of endurance. Who here doubts the fact that our Christian life is a race of endurance? It is, isn't it? It's a race of endurance. And you know one of the beautiful things is? There is no entrance fee for this race. It's for by grace you are saved through faith. The gift of God not of anything that you and I can do. It's God's gift of grace through Christ's redeeming work on the cross. In this race, endurance is required. In this race, the the prize is immeasurable as it relates to our future eternal glory. You thought about that? One day we'll do away with these frail bodies. One day we'll have new bodies, resurrected bodies. No more aches, no more pains. The older I get, the more I appreciate that. (laughs) You young folks are probably sitting there thinking, what is he talking about? Wait till you reach 40. I know it's a long time away for some of you. When the aches and pains start creeping in. If we 
As followers of Jesus, we are promised a new body, a glorious body. Our race of endurance is not a race that stops the nation, but it's a race that every follower of Christ is to run. So when you look at this text, it it tells us that you are to run with endurance the race that is set before us. Do you know that as a follower of Christ, there is a, a certain path marked out for you to follow? That's what this verse tells us. There's a race to be run. So let's just dive a little bit further into this. So the, the key idea of these verses is to run with endurance. If you look at the overall, the, the, the theme of Hebrews, it could be described as pressing on to maturity rather than falling back through disobedience and lack of faith. If you did an overview of Hebrews, you, you could come to that conclusion quite comfortably. There's over 96 verses in this particular letter that, that um, talk about not looking back. On 14 occasions, the key phrase, let us, so it's an exhortation for the Christian community, especially to uh, these Hebrews here, to, to press on and to, to be encouraged in communion with one another. Let me give you just a bit of an example of that. Go back to Hebrews chapter 10. And we go Hebrews 10, 19. You've got these wonderful verses here. Look out for the the key phrase, let us. Let's determine what it says. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as in the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. What are the three encouragements from those verses? You spotted them? The three encouragements is uh, to draw near, to hold fast, and consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds. They're good things to do, isn't it, amongst the Christian community? We all need those things. Drawing near, holding fast, and considering how to stir one another up in in the ways of the Lord. And similar in Hebrews 12, as we run the race with endurance. Let us run the race with endurance. The word endurance reflects a present and ongoing activity. So it's a constant thing. It involves an active endurance, involving effort. Who here has run a marathon? Anyone here run a marathon? I won. Who would like to run a marathon? (laughs) 
Okay, well, some psychological issues that we need to discuss over here that are running marathons. Who ever, ever has run a sort of a decent long race? Not, you know, 5K, 10K? Yeah, whatever. It takes, takes effort, doesn't it? You know, especially if it's not on a flat circuit, especially if you start going towards a hill. It's not, it's not easy, is it, when you, when you look up and you... The road might only go up three metres, but it looks like 300 metres, especially if it's late in the race. So to run involves a struggle. It involves effort. It's not a passive thing. It's not... The Christian life is not a let go, let God type scenario, Right? There are disciplines that are required. There are certain things for our, our benefit that is required as, as you run the race. And just to reiterate it here, this race that we run is set before us. It's, it is set out for us. It's marked out for us. You go back to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, and it, it talks about a similar sort of thing. I'll just grab that verse because it's important to, to read that in light of this race. Ephesians 2.10 says this, For we are his workmanship, God's workmanship. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The same principle. We have a race set before us. We need to be running with endurance, with effort. And really this race is a, a metaphor to continue to preserve in the faith. To endure also talks about our capacity to hold up in the face of great difficulty. To endure could be described with these following words. It means to have patience. It means to have endurance. It means to have fortitude. Steadfastness. Perseverance. And in this context, uh, communicating... Uh, this principle of endurance involves effort and struggle as determined by the athletic metaphor. This race is a marathon, it's not a sprint. We're called to be stayers. To persevere until the glorious appearing of Christ. So this is all about the race and you may say, okay, well, you've told me about the race. Yeah, I'm involved in the race, but what are some key things that I need to do to maintain a race of endurance? I'm glad you asked because it's in the text. All right? So there's uh, three key points in this text which talk about how we run the race of endurance. And these are really beneficial things to consider. The verse gives three ways to run the race of endurance. There's one negative connotation and there's two positive ways. And then in verse 3 it concludes with a command. 
So we'll look at the negative side first, and um, that's found in the middle of verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, we must get rid of every weight and sin that clings so closely. Okay. We know the writer here is using an athletic image to describe the race. You know what? In ancient Rome, when the athletes used to gather to compete, much like in our Olympic Games or in the Commonwealth Games, these athletes would, would come out into the stadium. They would enter the stadium in long flowing robes of great colour. A bit like you don't see it so often these days, but uh, I remember when I grew up as a kid, you, we often used to see the boxers compete, right? Muhammad Ali and those sorts of guys. And um, they would have a great big robe over them as they'd come to the ring. They'd climb into the ring. Did they maintain that robe on them when they started the fight? No, that would be a bit absurd, right? They'd be try, like trying to box with a sack on. The same with ancient Roman athletes. They would strip down and uh, to next to nothing and compete in the race. While they were running, they didn't want to be impeded in any way, especially not those long flowing robes. They wanted nothing to hinder their progress, nothing whatsoever. And here we see in the text before us the same concepts. Lay aside every weight, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. If you want to run a race of endurance, if you want to run well, you need to nip in the bud the things that are hindering you. And this is where he's going with this. Because sin so easily entangles. Sin so easily can cling so close. And he's saying to the believer, just like the athlete throws off your robes for the race, so the Christian is to throw off all things that hinder the race. Must get rid of. You know, the ESV says, lay aside every weight. The NET, I like in this sense because it says, you must get rid of these things. If you're in a race of victory or win a race of endurance, you must deal with sin. Because sin exerts tight control over your well being. So, what hinders us in our race? I can't answer that for you. But what sin is clinging close? What's ensnaring you? What's obstructing you? The old Puritans used to have a, a, an interesting saying about mortification of sin. That's a really big word, right? How do you mortify something? Really what they were saying is you have to hate sin with a holy hatred 
and run from this sin. Yeah, so in the context of this passage, we don't, we're not told what the sin is. If you go back to chapter 10, it could point to the sin of unbelief. It, it could also be personal sin, or it, it could refer straight to all sin. However, the passage is abundantly clear. You can only run well when you set aside sin. John Bunyan, one of those Puritans I talked about, used to talk about uh, sin in two ways. He said, sin can enter in two ways into, into, into us. One is through the eye gate, and one is through the ear gate. Unusual terms, right? So through the eye, through what you see, and through the ear about what you hear. 1 John 2 talks about this very strongly. 1 John 2, 15. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes from the Father. It comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. The devil always uses a three-pronged approach to, help, to trip us up in our race. To enticing towards sin, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It's exactly what he did with Eve in the garden. Think about that. Did God really say, doesn't that fruit look good? Lust of the eyes. Did God really say, the pride of life, and then lust of the flesh? So these things entrap us. And as said before, whatever you conclude from this passage, it is clear that to run a race of endurance, you must set aside sin. So as believers, we must constantly deal with this in our life. The things that enslave. Maybe it's the lust of the eyes through means of computer technology. Maybe it's desiring and coveting possessions. Maybe it's ongoing conflict and hard-heartedness towards others. The way we need to deal with this is through repentance and through the working of God's Spirit in our lives. What's God's Spirit grant us? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, patience, self-control. Fruits of repentance. So what do you need to set aside? What do you need to put off so that you can run well? And the wonderful thing is God is gracious and merciful. We talked about previously in Hebrews that we can enter and come into his throne of grace and receive mercy at any time. I implore you today, deal with those things that stop you from running the race well. 
come before the throne of God's grace and be freed from those things that are hindering you from running well. One of the next instructions here is a positive instruction. And it's right at the start of verse 12, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. The witnesses here relate back to chapter 11. What's in Hebrews 11? It's the great hall of faith, right? Great hall of faith. The whole chapter covers people like Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, the people of Israel, Rahab, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Japheth, David, Samuel and the prophets. And it's an incredible hall of faith. And, and uh, so the writers instruct, look back at their example. Look at how they ran. You think about Abraham. He was a guy that he was instructed to go. And he had no idea of knowing where he was going. And a bit later on in Abraham's life, what did, it, what did he do? He was asked to sacrifice his son. And it's incredible. In chapter 11 here, we get this further revelation from God's word that, that Abraham says this, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, verse 17, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So even that act of faith of, Lord, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know why you're asking me to sacrifice my son. But the faith of Abraham was such that he knew that God could raise him back again. Because he knew that God's promises were true. He knew that through Isaac, all the nations of the world would be blessed. Great faith. You see, a witness here is, is never merely a passive spectator, but an active participant who confirms and attests the truth as a confessing witness. You look at the end of chapter 11 here, this astounds me when I, I read this. He, he goes through this great hall of faith, and then he gets to a point and he, he says, okay, verse 35, women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release, so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world is not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in the dens and caves of the earth. The witness in that case is a martyr. Not a passive participant, but an active confessing witness. And the emphasis on this verse 12 here is falls on what Christians see in these examples rather than that is what they 
what the witnesses may see with the Christians, right? So it's not like in the past we've heard, well, maybe there's a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us watching us race. It's not the... I believe the, uh, the imagery here is saying as you run the race, look back to all those wonderful witnesses of faith. Take examples from them. Be inspired by their heroic Christian discipleship. So to walk well, you've got to deal with the hindrances of sin. Look to the past. Look to those witnesses who walk worthy, walk in a manner worthy of their calling and, and uh, are strong. And then there's a, another positive way of running this race. And I think this trumps the, the fact of looking back to past witnesses because what we have here is uh, the writer saying, look to Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And then what did Jesus do? For the joy set out for him, he endured the cross, disregarded its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Focused attention on him and his work. In a sense, look away from everything else and focus on what Jesus does. And why should we fix our eyes on Jesus? Very simple. He is the author or pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Isn't that wonderful? Jesus is working in and through all the time through the power of his spirit to perfect our faith. Why should we fix our eyes on Jesus? Because he, he endured the race by the way of the cross. This is um, the only reference in Hebrews to the cross. Did you know that? The only reference in the whole book of Hebrews to the cross. The completed work of the cross provides salvation. That we know. God's wrath is satisfied. And the one who places faith and trust in that fact is reconciled and redeemed. Forgiven, justified, in union with Christ, recipient of a new birth, regenerated and dwelt by the Holy Spirit. Wow. Consider that. That's who we are in Christ. And Christ is also victorious. He is the author and the perfecter. He's endured the cross and he is victorious. We don't worship a dead saviour. He is risen. And he guarantees through the, the power of his spirit the inheritance. Because he is now enthroned and exalted, a permanent state, and no further atonement is required. See, Jesus, unlike the heroes of the faith mentioned in chapter 11, is also able to strengthen his followers to endure because he is the one who sits on the right hand of the throne of God he's exalted above all thrones dominions and powers and he waits for those who love 
and to cry out for help to endure the race. Remember that, folks. This is not a beat-up of of legalism. You must do this, you must do that, you must do the other thing. This is a a heartfelt call to deal with the things in your life, but realize that the grace and the mercy of God is there to help. Focus on him. See, the Holy Spirit enables us to run the race of endurance. So we run this race of endurance by putting off and getting rid of the sin that weighs and clings so closely. We run this race by looking at past heroes of the faith. It may not be the Old Testament heroes. It may be people you know in your lifespan who have encouraged you, who are heroes of the faith. And we run the race by looking and keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith. And then just so you get the point, in verse 3, the writer gives his first command in this section. He says, consider him. That's the command. Consider him who endured for sin of such hostility against himself. So you consider the cross, but why? Simply here in the text it says, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. To consider is a process of serious thinking, where a matter is weighed up and with utmost care. Through comparison, through reflection, and through conclusion. Yeah, maybe you do that when you make a large purchase. If you purchase a caravan or a car or a house, you, you don't tend to do that on a whim, right? You, you, you go in, you get a building report, you get an inspector's report, and you, you consider, firstly, if you can afford it, you consider if, you can, um, if the building structurally is correct. You take time to think through the process of decision-making. This is the sort of consideration that's been called for here. And the consideration relates to how Christ has endured opposition by sinners. We live in a world that really doesn't like Christians. Do you get that sense? Every law that seems to be going through our our parliaments are anti-Christian, anti-God, anti-family. You name it. And, And generally, most antagonism that occurs out there is towards those who have a faith in Christ. Hey, you're not alone in that. That's what this text tells us. Consider Jesus who endured those things. You know, Jesus even talked to his disciples, says that they will hate you because of me. That's so true. But consider how Jesus dealt with it, how his utmost agony and anguish, what did he say? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Wow. That doesn't reflect my attitudes at times. So consider Christ and how he endured that opposition. And that consideration should result in encouragement 
Encouragement in such a way that you won't grow weary. Encouragement that you won't be faint-hearted. So the soul does not give up and, uh, and, and that we endure in the race and we don't grow weary. And that's my encouragement to you today. Run the race with endurance. To run the race with endurance, there are things to, to remember. Put away the sin that clings. Look to the heroes of the faith of the past, but primarily fix your eyes on Jesus and consider him. And he will provide the grace and the mercy to enable you to continue to run, to enable you to walk in love, to enable you to run with perseverance, to enable you to walk in the light, to enable you to walk in wisdom, and to run the race. We're now going to sing a bit of a song together which reflects some of these thoughts. So I'll ask the music team to join us up here. It's an old, old song, but with a bit of a new twist. So I don't know if this is new to you guys, but uh, you'll know it as soon as we sing it. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth which grow strangely dim in the light of his glorious and grace. And it's got a few extra verses which are just beautiful words, so have a look at those as a, as a process of worship back to our precious Saviour. Thank you.